Coming up on this week's show, we have Jordan L. Hawk, and she talks about the latest installment in her Wyborn and Griffin series. Plus, she gives her thoughts on anthropomorphic Christmas puddings. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode number 68 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. Welcome, sir. And welcome to you. Another episode of the podcast. Thank you. Here we are, episode 68. Woohoo! As we, have we mentioned that? Yes, you just said that. I just said that mere seconds ago. (laughs) It's like, I don't pay attention to what you're saying. (laughs) Um, Okay, so yes, episode 68. Here we are. Yes. We're talking. We are. You're chatting. Mm -hmm. And you had a busy work week. Oh my God. Um, So uh, I apologize. Um, I have to say, things weren't, it was planned. It you. was a very bonkers week for the day job. Not a bad week, but a bonkers week. Will took very good care of me as I went through all the all the motions that had to get done last week. It was a disastrous week for writing. In the in the seven days since we were here last, there's only been about two thousand words, barely two thousand words mm-hmm. written, which makes me sad. But I will recover from that. Um, also, I got the third rounds of edits back for somewhere in Mackinac today, so I'll be working on that over the next week too to get that back over to Dream Spinner, so the process can continue. Sounds good. Yeah. So our friends at the Ripped Bodice, we do love those ladies yes, and their bookstore. I think we mentioned back around the holidays that we had yeah, yeah. sponsored a shelf at the store, and they have the new shelf sponsorships up, and we got to see ours on the shelf. This past week, if you're looking at the video right now, you'll see those pictures. We sponsored a shelf in the LGBT section of the store, which we are very proud to represent there. Uh, I think it's very cool what they do with the sponsorships to let authors or readers or whoever sponsor a little bit of space in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, we There's several plaques on the store. We talked about that when we talked to the ladies and uh, got their thoughts on it. And uh, it's very cool to be there. We have our own little... Uh, tag on this bookshelf that's right behind us. You can't really see it. You can almost see it in the video. Right there, that little plaque that says, I sponsored a shelf with the Ripped Bodice. So there's a reciprocal sponsorship of a sort going on. Uh, but we're very pleased to be there, and I can't wait to, for us to be back there to take a picture with our shelf. Yes. And we encourage you, if you're at the Bodice, take a picture of yourself with our shelf and send it to us. Mm-hmm. Something else cool that they're doing that we found out about this week is they're starting to offer writing courses. They're going to have an Erotica Writing 101 class with Rachel Kramer Bustle. I don't. You said you knew who that was, right? Mm-hmm. And that'll be in uh, Sunday, January 29th. And as we record this, it is important to note that that class is already sold out. But if enough people go on the wait list, they'll open another class earlier in that afternoon. Mm-hmm. So worth checking out. Cool. There's also going to be Romance Writing 101 with Janine DeVita on Sunday, February 19th. And as we record... That appears to still be open. Uh, you can see uh, on the events and tickets page at the rippedbodicela.com for more details on these classes and to sign up for them. I think this is very cool they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, they're always looking for ways to make their bookstore you know, more interactive with their community. And I think yeah. that's critical for any bookstore mm-hmm. trying to, to make it work in, the, in these in these days that we live in and I think offering these writing courses is pretty amazing. If I were if I happened to have been there on Sunday, January, February nineteenth, I think I'd go to Romance Writing One O One just to see what it was like. Yeah, definitely. Because there's always something to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So if you're in the LA area, check out the Rip Bodice. Look for our shelf. And if you happen to be uh there on Sunday, February twenty ninth, uh check out Romance Writing with Janine DeVita. Yeah, absolutely. So this week's show is supported in part by listeners like you. Mm -hmm. As you know, we've begun working with Patreon as a way for our listeners to help support the production of the show. Your pledges help offset our monthly production costs. And for... (laughs) I was doing so well. And then I just got totally tongue twisted on that. It wasn't that bad. For our fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels, which is less than a Starbucks, mind you, per month. Uh, you'll also have the exclusive opportunity to ask 
questions of our upcoming guests. And you'll actually hear in the Jordan Hawk interview that two people got that very opportunity. Uh, we want to thank our new patrons, SB and David, for joining us. And you can see all of our supporters on the patrons page at biggayfictionpodcast.com. We're getting close to the goal to have to do a bonus show. Mm. So if you want to see us do a bonus show, <laughs> go sign up to Patreon. Uh, that is patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, slash Podcast. And uh, you'll see the details there. And who knows? We may have to do a bonus show soon. That would be nice. Yeah. Uh, something something to look forward to. Uh, while we certainly appreciate... See? See? Okay. Yeah, it's going to be one of those. Yeah, it's one of those days. Uh, while we certainly appreciate and love all of our listeners, um, and we love doing the show, uh, the Patreon support helps... Uh, well, frankly, support some of the back-end stuff, uh, like podcast hosting and, you know, all that other, you know, non-sexy junk that yeah. no one wants to talk <laughs> about. Um, so we genuinely appreciate the support. It means an awful lot to us. Uh, and we are looking forward to sharing more bonuses, like episodes and other little things in the future. Um, do we have a list of upcoming guests on the Patreon page? We do. The Patreon page uh, includes the list of upcoming interviews. Any interview that is scheduled officially mm-hmm. uh, is listed on the Patreon page, so you know what date it happens. And if you're if you're in the pool, and you want to ask a question. As long as you get it to us like two days before we record the interview, uh, we're happy to to get that in there. Plus, uh, in the case of Jordan's interview, after I recorded it. I took the interview questions that we had that we had gotten from our guests or from our patrons rather, and actually put them up on the Patreon page uh, as a sneak peek to our patrons. Yeah. So. So there there is bonus bonuses to be had, but uh, and we appreciate as as Will said the support, and uh, you know we're we'll just keep moving on and doing new and new and cool things. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen in 2017? That's right. Crazy, crazy, wacky stuff. That's right. (laughs) There may be a chill in the air, but romance is always in bloom. Announcing the Big Gay Fiction Podcast Valentine's Day Gay Romance Paperback Giveaway. We're giving you a chance to win a prize package filled with enchanting contemporary gay romances. And who knows, you may discover your next book boyfriend. The prize pack includes an autographed paperback of Home the Hard Way by Z.A. Maxfield, an autographed copy of Unbreak My Heart by Kaylee Klein, plus paperbacks of Eyes Only For You by Andrew Gray, and Unstable Stud by Ariel Tokna. To enter, go to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com or visit the official giveaway page at biggayfictionpodcast.com slash valentine. Remember, you can't win if you don't enter, so visit biggayfictionpodcast.com slash valentine before the rafflecopter ends on February 5th. So a few weeks back, we had Michael Jensen on the show mm-hmm. uh, talking about his new book, Man and Beast, which, as we talked about, isn't quite a romance. There's a romance element to it, but there's much more going on than the romance aspect of that book. And we've had other books that we've talked about on the show from time to time that fall outside the romance genre, but that we point them out because we think, you know, reader re- readers, our readers will enjoy that. Our listeners will enjoy that. Uh, so, and Michael's aware of that. You know, most of what goes on in gay in the gay fiction world cycles around MM romance specifically. But he has started a new Facebook group to look at books such as his own uh, that fall outside that romance space that may tend to get overlooked. So he's got this new Facebook group called This Gay Book I Loved. Uh, and as he, as he describes this in the intro post, uh, the group is devoted to discovering, discussing, and promoting books about gay, bisexual, and transgendered men. We're especially interested in genre books that defy conventional expectations, he says. This gay book is here to help find and celebrate those other books so that they don't get overlooked, especially those genre books that feature gay, bi, trans characters, but aren't necessarily solely about the relationships, the romance part of the story, or having to have a happily ever after. Uh, I think this is a great group to have. Uh, the podcast has actually opened my our door, essentially, not just mine, but our door to more gay fiction as some authors come to us to talk about their books. Yeah. 
Michael Scott Garvin's A Faithful Son, which I reviewed a few weeks ago, and Michael will be on the show uh, in a few weeks as well. Uh, books like Joe Conquo's Jazz Moon come to mind, mm-hmm. um, and some other books that are just really extraordinary, but kind of get left aside in terms of the books that we normally have our eyes on. So I'm really excited to see this group and to see how it grows. It is a, a, a cl- uh, I believe it's a closed Facebook group, so you have to go ask to join, but nobody's going to get turned away uh, from joining it. So there's a link in the show notes to it. It's an ungangly URL, um, so I can't just read it off to you. So there's a link in the show notes, or you could search Facebook for This Gay Book I Loved, and you'll find it, and Michael or myself or the other one of the other admins will let you in the door, and you could start exploring the books that are discussed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, my personal reading of the last few years has been uh, nonfiction-based and, well, romance-based, but I have um, certainly read my fair share of, you know, gay fiction mm-hmm. uh, titles. So, and I do think... It is, I agree with Michael, it is becoming hard to find an audience uh, if your book falls outside of the romance uh, spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a difficult audience to reach. Um, so this is just um, something else, another way to uh, get the word out and explore, you know, yeah, new new books, new authors, and it's yeah, it's all good. It's hard to find that stuff if you yeah. don't live in one of the bigger cities that has a bookstore mm. like like the Bureau in exactly. New York, exactly. Um, yeah, or if you're if you're not near a Barnes and Noble that does stock fairly well for a gay section, because um, they're almost impossible just to randomly find on Amazon unless you really know how to work that search thing really well. So I'm glad to see this is up here and, and and look forward to seeing what comes up in it. Yeah. Do you want to talk about some movies? Yeah, let's talk about some flicks. So recently we have, um, <laughs> we've journeyed outside the home. Go figure. Twice in two weeks. I know. Bus man. Strange and crazy. Anyway, so, so we did actually go to the cinema and we went and saw Hidden Figures mm-hmm. last, last week. That was just brilliant. Crazy awesome. I love that movie. Um, as much as I've ever paid attention to the space program, because I was a space program geek as a kid, mm-hmm. I'd never heard the story. Mm-hmm. It never surfaced anywhere. Uh, as you as you probably know, unless you've been like not paying attention to media, the Hidden Figures is the story of the women of the space program, specifically the women who were what they called calculators. There were uh, white women who were calculated, but there were also African-American women who were segregated and were just these math, brilliant math geniuses who would work on the calculator, calculations needed for the space program before they had the IBM computer to do it for them. And then many of them actually went on to be the ones who programmed the IBM computer because they were the ones who could handle doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It stars uh, Taraji Henson from Empire playing totally against type. There was no sign of Cookie in there anywhere. Uh, Octavia Spencer um, is one of the women, and I don't know the other actress's name. Janelle Monet. Thank you, Janelle Monet. Uh, each of them truly extraordinary, mm-hmm. uh, portraying these real-life women. Uh, one who was you know, the one responsible for doing John Glenn's calculations because he wouldn't trust anybody else but her to do them. One who became the first African-American engineer female engineer at NASA, and uh, one the one who became the lead programmer and supervisor for the IBM computer um, as it was brought online. Everything about it, I loved it. And I love the fact that Jim Parsons is sitting on this set watching Taraji write all these equations up on the board when usually he's the one writing equations on Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But it's, it's a really inspirational film and a slice of history that doesn't get brought to light hardly at all. Exactly. Your thoughts, sir? Uh, it's excellent. Uh, it's a wonderful story. It's engaging. It's interesting. Uh, it's inspiring. Uh, go check it out. I, yeah. I mean, what more can you say? It's awesome. Yeah. It's a really great movie. Yeah. I hope it gets many Oscar nominations. I don't know that it got many noms in the Golden Globes, mm-hmm. 
but go Oscars for that movie. Yeah. Another movie we recently saw was a, another film based on a true story. It was Florence Foster Jenkins, which starred Glenn Close as Mm-mm. the... No, I'm crap. See, here I am talking off the cuff. I I really, I need notes. <laughs> See, I tried to take that and run with it, and it bit me in the ass. I think you got thinking Sunset Boulevard over there. Maybe, or I don't know what I was thinking of. No, not Glenn Close. Meryl Streep. The Meryl Streep. Um, it's the true story of uh, Florence Foster Jenkins, who was uh, a well-to-do socialite and music lover. And she became rather infamous for these concerts uh, that she would give. Uh, And Florence possessed an abundance of enthusiasm, but was uh, light on actual talent. (laughs) Um, And the movie uh, explores um, uh, her story uh, and the eventual... Uh, the I don't, what's the word I'm trying to use? Um, I don't know. Or I she don't. she's most famous for or, well infamous really. She's most infamous for a specific concert that she gave at Carnegie Hall, uh, and it is worth noting that uh, at the Carnegie Archives, her concert and the materials related to that specific concert. Are one of the most you know uh, uh, checked out, I guess. Ch- checked out, most uh, enthusiastically investigated okay. uh, of, <laughs> of I mean of their of their entire archive. Uh, people keep coming back to Florence Foster Jenkins time and again. Uh, she was a remarkable, unique woman, uh, a, a music lover who uh, tried to keep the arts alive in New York City during the Second World War. Um, I think uh, at the end, uh, Florence says, um, this is maybe not a direct quote, she said, um, uh, people speaking about her, um, they they may say, I can't say, wait, wait, they may say, what, what did she say? Um, they may say, I can't sing, but they can't see I didn't sing. I think that's right. Yeah. Which I think is kind of the whole point. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> her her enthusiasm uh, it, it bubbles over. It's, it's It really does. Yeah. I liked the movie. It was not totally what I expected it to be. I didn't expect the story that was the depth of the relationship between her and her husband played and her by husband Hugh played Grant. by Hugh Grant a really yeah. good Hugh Grant uh, a slightly different role from what we've seen him in uh before i think uh it was very different it was not really hinted at in the marketing campaign for it but it's a touching story between those two mm-hmm. and how they live their lives and a nice uh, supporting turn from uh, Simon Hilberg from Big Bang Theory too is her accompanist because mm-hmm. he had a, his own little interesting story kind of running in there too. Yeah, I think it, it first uh, the Simon Hilberg character uh, he plays her long uh, suffering pianist uh, p- pianist. Um, <laughs> we first, can't talk today. Mm, can you tell? It's hard at first. He's um, uh, embarrassed and ashamed to be associated with Florence, but eventually he comes around and understands uh, her point of view and her enthusiasm, and he's mm-hmm. he's becomes along with with uh, Florence's husband, uh, one of her champions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It was a really good movie. I'm glad we watched it. Another movie we've looked at uh, just this week was a kind of a, a rewatch for us uh, of The Geography Club, which is based on Brent Hartinger's uh, novel, young adult novel from the early 2000s. Uh, we watched this the first time shortly after it came out, I think once it was available on demand. It is the story of Russell, uh, who is uh, 
figuring out that he's gay uh, using a little internet technology. He goes to potentially hook up with someone in the park, but that gets scuttled because it turns out it's someone else from his school, the football star, of course. Uh, and he ends up, because of one of his other friends, men in this club that's called the Geography Club, which is really a way for them to hide as they're trying to figure out who each of the club members are and if they can take the leap to make an actual GSA in the school. Uh, It's a great story about the potential of young love, the trying to figure yourself out, the coming-of-age story, and and friends who help you along the way. Because, of course, Min and his other best friend, Gunnar, uh, support him really well along the way. Um, You've recently read... Well, you've well have not reread, but you've continued reading the Geography Club series. Yeah, I have. Uh, the for a long time, the Geography Club series stopped at book four uh, because basically it was you know got them into college, mm-hmm. um, and then Brent started what he calls the Russell Middlebrook Futon Years, and I've recently read all the way up to what will soon be book four in that series, which is also book one of another character spinoff in that series. And he's, Brent's going to be on the show in a few weeks to talk about all that. But it's it's been interesting to see and to revisit the Geography Club movie now that I've seen where everybody kind of ends up, mm-hmm. you know, 10-ish years or so after Geography Club. Uh, and the movie, I think I liked it better the second time. I think I was kind of mixed on it the first time. But it was fun to go back and see it, and now through a lens when I've revisited these characters rather recently also. Because I think, the, if I'm not mistaken, the movie came out nearly 10 years after the book. Because uh, I want to say it was like a 2011, 12-ish mm-hmm. movie, perhaps. Uh, and there's some people in it, too. Like, I uh, can't think of his name from Glee. I needed notes for I, this. I don't have the notes in front of me, so I'm not going um, there. What? <laughs> Alex Newell, that's yes. his name, uh, from Glee. Uh, this is before Glee for him. Nikki Blonsky, who played uh, Tracy Turnblad in Hairspray, the, movie. the musical movie. Um, yeah. So it was funny. You, who did you see from Wrecked? Do you remember her name from last night? Allie Mackay? Yeah, uh, from the TBS series Wrecked. Plus it's got Scott Bakula and Anna Gasteyer. Mm-hmm. In supporting roles, so really good movie. It's free if you're if you're an Amazon Prime member right now. You can stream this for free, uh, but it's also available on DVD and iTunes and some other spots too. So worth checking out, I think. Cool. Now, recently you got to speak with, uh, well, let's let's face it, one of the biggest authors in the industry, mm-hmm. Jordan L. Hawk. Um, not only is she well, I, I let's just let's just say it. She's beloved. She is. People, she really is. people love her. People love her books, uh, and are crazy, crazy bananas uh, for the Wyborn and Griffin series. Mm-hmm. And and we've got, uh, bleh, see, still can't talk. <laughs> We're two thirds of the way into the show, still can't talk. Uh, we got to talk about her new book called Undertow. Yeah. Uh, which is not specifically. It's in the Wyborn and Griffin universe. But they are not the stars. Um, I believe her name is Maggie, who's this, their secretary, stars and and gets herself a girlfriend in this book called Undertow. Uh, and we also talk about what's coming up for her in uh, 2017, which will be visiting not only more Wyborn and Griffin, but more books from her other series that she's got, because that's not her only thing that she's got going on out there in the world. Uh, plus, we talk about her research and her writing habits and some other stuff. It was a lot of fun. Cool. I'm happy to welcome Jordan L. Hawk to the podcast. Jordan grew up in North Carolina and forgot to ever leave. Childhood tales of mountain ghosts and mysterious creatures gave her a lifelong love of things that go bump in the night. When she isn't writing, she brews her own beer and tries to keep her cats from destroying the house. The latest book from her best-selling Wyborn and Griffin universe, Undertow, came out on January 20th. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure, absolutely. So, congratulations on the new book. Uh, first off, oh, tell, thank you so much. Tell us about Undertow and how it fits into the Wyborn and Griffith universe. Well, Undertow is a bit of a side story. 
Um, I wanted to highlight some characters who are secondary characters in the main series and don't necessarily get a lot of uh, attention. Um, so this one is really focusing on Whiteboard's secretary, Maggie Parkhurst, and uh, his sister, Persephone. Um, and basically, it takes place during the same time as book eight in Whiteboard and Griffin where the main cast is off in Kansas having their adventure. Uh, so this is sort of like 8.5. This is what happened back home in Wittershins. So I did try to write it so that if people go straight from book eight to book nine, uh, they won't necessarily have missed a giant chunk of plot, um, but it will definitely enhance the uh, story if you read it. Mm-hmm. And this is your first uh, FF story as well. What drew you to yeah. tell this particular story in your universe? Uh, well, going back to uh, book seven uh, of the series, which was Maelstrom, I had a scene where I, with Whiteborn's secretary, and I kind of need to combine it with another scene where his sister comes and gives him some information. So this was sort of their first face-to-face interaction uh, in the series, and they just had a lot of chemistry together. Like when I was thinking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, they're kind of got to have some chemistry here, a little bit of, uh, you know, like, oh, hey, you know. Um, yeah, so it was really fun to write. I, I really love both of the characters. And people really, really liked that scene. They really liked the pairing, uh, the idea they might, might hook up. So I thought, oh, you know, I kind of would like to write that. I'd like to, you know, do it for the readers who, who would like to see that story, but also uh, for myself, because I figured it'd be fun to, and kind of gave me a chance to get away from the main cast for a little bit of the story um, and sort of explore a little bit more that happens, would normally happen outside of, uh, you know, what am I, off camera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what do these two get up to in this story? What's their... What, what's their adventure that they're going to get to have as they, as they you know, find their romance? Uh, well, of course, uh, if you've read the series, Wittershins is currently uh, being threatened by some pretty bad uh, otherworldly forces. Um, Persephone's Wyboard's sister stayed behind to kind of keep an eye on things, keep um, make sure nothing terrible happens while he's gone. Uh, and his secretary is sort of drawn into it when a uh, man from her past shows up and is kind of uh, like, Hey, you know, let's, let's reconnect here. Um, They go to a a play with one of her friends from boarding house. Uh, Her friend is strangely affected during the play by song by one of the uh, actresses and then disappears mysteriously overnight. Uh, the police think, oh, she just took off some guy. Maggie's like, uh, I don't think so. We need to look into this. Uh, so as she's looking into this course, she would normally go to Wyborn. He's out of town. So she turns to his sister for help. And it turns out that uh, this is a small part of a much larger threat. Okay. So. <laughs> I think it sounds like people are going to have a lot of fun with this book, for sure. Yeah, yeah. What would you say overall is the trademark of a Jordan Hawk book between the different series that you have and the different universes that you play in? Uh, my tagline up until now, at least, has been men, monsters, and mayhem. Uh, the men part doesn't really apply to this particular book as much. Um, but the monsters I always have some kind of paranormal aspect to the books. Uh, I really like the whole monster boyfriend, or in this case, monster girlfriend trope. Um, and of course, the mayhem, as you can tell from my description, there's usually a lot of action. There's romance going on between the characters, but they're embroiled within this larger mystery or larger uh, events that are happening around them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how would you say that you've evolved as a writer in the, in the five years that you've been writing in, this, in these universes? Uh Quite a bit, uh, I hope, anyway. Um, I really, <laughs> I've learned a lot from my developmental editor. Um, she's just amazing. She really taught me a lot about pacing, uh, about following through on character arcs, about pushing, not holding stuff back, pushing forward uh, to get all the emotion um, out of a scene if possible. But really just from a personal perspective, uh, I try to challenge myself somehow with every new project 
did I start? So every new book, I'm like, okay, what can I learn as a writer from writing this book? Um, because otherwise, then how else am I supposed to grow as an author? So, so hopefully after uh, five years and uh, uh, 20 books, maybe, <laughs> I can't remember now. <laughs> Hopefully, I've learned at least something for each one, and you know, leveled up. I like that the leveling up, <laughs> leveled up, <laughs> get, get more XP for that. That's right. What did What did you learn in Undertow with the writing? Uh, Maggie was a really different character for me. Uh, she's sort of a very quiet um, person. She is not somebody who's sort of. I mean, and Wyborn is too, to be fair, but she's not someone who's going to go out and look, look for adventure if she has the chance not to. Um, she spent her life kind of waiting for other people to act. And as a result, she's sort of in a rut. Um, you know, she's not a fighter. She's a secretary. She's not a sorceress. Uh, she's someone who has a very quiet character arc uh, through the series. And that was kind of a new experience for me, writing her. She was a very different person for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed sort of delving down into her head and like, okay, you know, how is she going to react to these events as opposed to, you know, one of the main cast like Christine. She's going to have a totally different perspective. So is this and it was fun to have the whole. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it was fun to have the whole whole monster girlfriend aspect of it too (laughs) (laughs) is this going to change maggie in the books going forward now that she's had this more starring role in a story uh definitely i mean she has her character arc where she has to level up herself and learn how you know okay i i have to act i have to put myself forward a bit more Uh, i do have things i can contribute so that will definitely be coming out uh you know in book nine for sure you'll see that change in her. It'll be interesting to see how that affects the guys. You know, (laughs) this new Maggie that happened while they were away. new Maggie. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you publish multiple books a year, of course, which is how you get 20 books in five years. Uh, And you've got several series going three, I think, if I counted right. Uh, Spectre, Whiteboard and Griffin, Hexworld and Spirit. So four four. series going on at once. How do you balance all that in your in your release schedule? Is it more of what you want to write as just the author or more what the fans want or some balance in the middle? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a mix of those two things. Uh, I have a pretty good idea at this point how long it takes me to write, say, a full-length novel versus a novella versus a short story. And uh, so I lay out my schedule as much as I can at the end of the year. I'll by, but you can see the uh, calendar for my shoulder, actually, yep. <laughs> back there on the wall. I have a very I similar start, one in my office. Yep. Just lay it out. Say, okay, here's where I'm going to aim for. Yeah, it takes about uh, three months to do a full-length book. So here's that chunk of time. Um, I'm trying nowadays to take off weekends uh, so I can actually have a life. <laughs> so... Um, so I lay that out and say, okay, I, people would riot if I didn't have a Whiteboard and Griffin book out. So I have to you know, keep them uh, interspersed in there. Uh, Hex World really took off for me. Um, so I kind of reshuffled my schedule at the end of last year to add uh, book two in that because so, I wanted to get it out you know, within the same year if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a balance. Uh, you know, Spectre is probably my um, – it has like – serious fans but it's also probably my less well-known um, series so it kind of got shuffled off the schedule a little bit but never fear specter fans there's a new one coming out very soon so do you have a favorite child in in these four series <sighs> that's a really good question uh i mean i never write anything unless i'm really into it and i really want to write it um, for sure. But I, I do have a fondness for Wyborn Griffin just because uh, when I wrote the first book, I really thought no one is going to want to read this. Like, I, I really wrote it for myself. I'm like, 
you know, they say, all right, historical doesn't sell, paranormal doesn't sell. Oh, I'll write a paranormal historical, <laughs> you know, uh, readers hate first person. Oh, it's going to be for first person. You know, readers want alpha male heroes. Oh, you know, Viborn really is kind of a doormat. I mean, you, the first time you see him, the conductor is not like, get off the omnibus, you know, we don't have any room for you. And he's just sort of standing there like, you know, so... I thought, you know, I don't even can't even really say what genre this is at this point. You know, was, mm-hmm. there was not much paranormal historical around in 2012 when I was writing this. So I was sort of like, well, probably nobody's going to read this, but I really want to write it. And I because I, I love the characters, I love the concept. I'll I'll write two books and then I'll be it. And uh, I was completely wrong. <laughs> People. Really, really liked it. It's definitely been the most successful thing I've done ever in my life, probably. Uh, so that was just really gratifying to have something I wrote for myself that I loved so much, and then to have it um, be kind of accepted widespread by a lot of people. So. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about three months to do a book. Is that from starting the writing all the way through to actually having it come out? Uh. No, that's uh, starting with research. So I usually give myself, depending on the book, uh, three to four weeks of, uh, you know, reading to go out, do the research, do the basic outline, uh, have at least some idea where I'm going in the story. Uh, about six weeks for the first draft and a couple of weeks for revisions, beta reading, and then to my editor. Uh, I try to get that done about two months before the release. So from start to finish, it's about to actual release date. It's usually about five months. Mm-hmm. So. I won't jump to research quite yet because there's a, there's a, a, a question <laughs> coming up on that a little bit in a little bit. What, what's a day in the life of Jordan Hawk, the, the writer look like? Uh, pretty boring. I uh, get up, uh, have breakfast, feed the cats, um, do my email, and then I usually write uh, all morning until uh, lunchtime. Uh, right, the morning is usually, for whatever reason, my most productive mm-hmm. time creatively. Um, so then the afternoon can be either more writing, uh, depending on where I am, you know, on deadline or, oh, my God, I'm behind, or, <laughs> uh, you know, or if I have, like, edits that I'll take. Uh, from another book, then I'll use the afternoon to work on those or to like look at sales numbers from Amazon or whatever. Um, and that lasts till about four thirty, five o'clock. And then I've been trying to take evenings off uh, again because I was sort of not having a life there for a couple of years. But uh, since I've been sick for three weeks, I've kind of fallen off that because now I'm way behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stupid winter illnesses. <laughs> Stupid COVID. <laughs> so we've got a couple questions from our patrons, uh, and this is where we'll come back to the research. Uh, Amy asks, what was one of the weirdest things you found while researching the Wyborn and Griffith series? So many possibilities. <laughs> uh, so many possibilities. But... The one I'm actually going to go with may not seem obvious to start with, uh, but it's like the weirdness, weird world of Victorian greeting cards. Um, I, I know that seems pretty random, okay. but here we are here. Like we know that they had a lot of weird ideas about medicine. Yeah, we know they had a lot of weird ideas about uh, you name it, pretty much. Uh, but you think I know what a Christmas card is, right? I mean, our idea of Christmas comes very much from their idea of Christmas. The Victorian era is really what started, you know, the way that we celebrate with the tree and the cards and the blah, blah. And then you are doing research. I was uh, looking at Valentine's Day cards, actually, for the one that um, Griffin has given Wyborn. It shows up in book two. And I was like, oh, Google search Victoria greeting cards. And yes, what, what's in this? There's no, you know, just like crazy stuff. Um, you know, Merry Christmas from a giant talking rutabaga with a human head on it. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, okay, like, 
you know, happy Valentine's from an egg that's being like boiled in a pan. Like, that's, right? I can't even imagine. Now I'm going to have to Google this when we're done so yeah, I can see these Google for myself. This done. Absolutely insane. And some of them are what we're expecting, but a lot of them are just to our eyes, just completely nuts. And it's, you know, they gave cards for everything. Thanksgiving, Halloween, Valentine's Day, Christmas. So there's a lot of really weird greeting cards out there. And like I said, we, most people have an idea that what is weird about the Victorian era, but that's something that's so similar to what we do today that you don't realize like, wow, (laughs) what on earth were these people on? (laughs) You know, he been nipping on the patent medicine before he did this greeting card where uh, I saw one. It was a woman with a sparrow's head cooking a uh, a plum pudding that was talking to her. Okay, so nothing says Christmas. Yes, nothing says Christmas like a anthropomorphic plum pudding with a woman with a sparrow head cooking it. So there you go. And it just says Merry Christmas on the inside. yeah, season's greetings or you know something like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely worth googling. Just Google weird Victorian greeting cards, and you will. <laughs> it's hours of entertainment. <laughs> I don't know that I'll get any other work done today. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> as as a bit of a follow up to Amy's question, how and you talked a little bit about this in in, in like kind of how your day plays out. How much research is involved in each book, and does it become less the further you get into a series? Like now that you're in, you know, you're heading into book nine for uh-huh. Wyborn, is it less, or is it more driven by whatever that plot for that particular book is? Boy, I wish it was less, <laughs> but no, it never is. Um, a lot of it depends on whether they're in Wittershins or not. Uh, for the book, so every other um, book, they go somewhere else. So for like book six, they are in Alaska during the gold mines. So I knew nothing about that. So I spent weeks reading up on, okay, how would you get from place to place in the middle of winter? Uh, What kind of supplies did you have to have with you? Um, Like, for example... Uh, one of the big threats was scurvy. Mm. We think about scurvy as being something sailors faced, but nope. If you're like in the wilderness and there's no fresh vegetables for months on end, you're going to get scurvy. So you got to take tomatoes with you. You got to take tinned fruit with you. Um, how to actually do the mining itself. How you know, uh, It's an endless rabbit hole you can go down. Um uh, next book, Maelstrom. Okay, they're back in Wittershins. I kind of know what their house looks like. I know some, but Griffin got a car. Ooh. So now I have to like be, okay, what kind of cars were available in 1901? Okay, what kind, how did you start it? You know, did it have a crank? Was it, you know, what, what did it run on? Most of them were gasoline by then, but there were a few weird ones out there. What would it look like? Um, what brands were Ooh. there? Uh, so there was... Yeah, there's always something that takes a, a, a lot of trips to the library. Fortunately, I'm close to a university um, with access to their library, so I can just drive over there and do some of it. But, yeah, it never seems to get any less. I love that some of it actually <laughs> takes place in a library and not just on Google. Uh, and it seems appropriate almost oh, yeah. to use the library yeah. for something that takes place in the 1900s even. It's, yeah. So uh, you really have to go for the primary sources uh, if you're looking for you know, the real details. Stuff on Google is kind of crazy, and you'll see a lot of things about, oh, it was like this in the Victorian era. Well, the Victorian era lasted from 1837 to 1901. So what, so what part of the Victorian era are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, it's completely huge social and technological change, so you really have to dig down into, you know, books and scholarly works that are going to kind of lay out, okay, here is what it was like in this year, because it might change three years later, might be totally different three years later, so. 
uh, my most fun researching though uh, was I actually got to go to a lunatic asylum for uh, a Victorian era uh, lunatic asylum. if anyone is near uh, West Virginia, I highly recommend stopping in at the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Uh, it was built in the 1860s and uh, is the only one on this particular, the, what's called the Kirkbride plan. But it's basically when you think of the scary lunatic asylum look, that's what it was the name of the architecture. Uh, it's the only one you can legally visit in the United States still. Uh, they have great tours, great historical societies. So that was that was pretty uh, cool, um, you know, driving up there and, like, walking through it and seeing it and listening to the uh, you know, history behind it. So that's what made me a little creepy, too, potentially. Uh, it, was, it was definitely creepy, yeah. Yeah, definitely creepy. They also do ghost tours and such as well that I did not go on, but... Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty. It was really interesting. You don't realize how uh, massive these places were uh, until you're like actually there in person, looking at this building that's literally half a mile long from end to end. Oh my so, goodness! Wow. I don't yeah. know that I need to go there, but it sounds impressive. I think I'd get a little freaked out, maybe. <laughs> um, so, from Ellen, another one of our patrons. Uh, She'd like to know about the POV shift, and you actually talked about this a minute ago when you were talking about Wyburn in the first person, uh, to when Mm -hmm, you were alternating POV in some of the later books. Uh, She's curious about why you chose to change it and what it was like getting into Griffin's head. I had actually gotten into Griffin's head a little bit before. I wrote two short stories. Um, One of them was the Valentine's Day short story, Eidolon, and then um, Carousel. And I just thought, oh, I'll do these in Griffin's point of view so that the readers can kind of see what's going on in his head because he's, especially at the beginning of the series, he's pretty messed up. He's way more messed up than Wyborn ever will be. Um, but he's really good at presenting himself as being like, I've got it all together and I'm, you know, normal and everything's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> fine. But uh, the first five books kind of worked as a unit uh, and having it only from Wyborn's point of view, I think, served the story. Um, but when I got to book six, I was plotting out and I realized that I had to do, uh, you may have heard the terms splitting the party. I had to split the party. I had to have Wyborn go over here, do something, and Griffin over here. And it was really critical to know what Griffin was doing at the time that it was happening. Um, which was not possible because I didn't have Wyborn there to see it. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just start writing some of it from his point of view. It's a good time to do it. I've sort of finished up the first unit sort of of the books with the end of book five. Um, and I, I went back and forth and, you know, talked to like my beta reader and stuff. And I'm like, gosh. And I was like, you know, I, I really think the story requires this. I'm just going to go for it. Uh, and it, it, Turned out working out um, well from my perspective, anyway, because then uh, it happened. Maelstrom and uh, Fallow both needed uh, his point of view as well. It turned out, so it was a good thing I kind of started it there, and that way I could continue on to the rest of the books. But you know, basically, the story just was not going to work anymore if it was only from Wyborn's point of view. Mm-hmm. So, cool, cool. So. I guess we need to wrap up because we are coming up on a, on a half hour mark here. Um, you mentioned, you know, you, you, the, the typical four books in a year uh, that you strive for. What do we have to look forward to in 2017 as, you know, coming after uh, this current book? Yeah, well, of course, Undertow has just come out. Uh, next book is going to be the next Spectre book, uh, Drinker of Blood, which uh, should be out in late March. Um then Wyborn and Griffin 9, which is Drakenwood. And then uh, the third Hexworld book, Hexslayer. And after that, I want to get uh, the next Spirits book, which I don't have a title for yet, written. Um, so whether that will actually, that, that should make it out before the end of the year. Uh, I haven't quite mapped out the last few months of the year yet, because I'm trying something a little bit different with my scheduling. Um, so that's hopefully what's on schedule for this year. Uh, Wyborn Griffith, Hexworld, and uh, Spectre, and Spirits. So, 
Cross gonna, my fingers. Going to touch all the universes <laughs> this year, if, if all goes well. Yeah. Nice. Yes. <laughs> and what's the best way for folks to connect with you online and keep up with everything if it comes out? Uh, probably my newsletter, uh, which you could go to my website, jordanilhawk.com. I have a offer for a free book, which is currently the first book in the Spirit series, Restless Spirits. So you, you can not only sign up, but get a free book for signing up. Um, I usually put any kind of information, important information out that way. It's probably the best way to find out. Um, I'm also on Facebook as Jordan L. Hawk. Twitter as Jordan L. Hawk. Uh, Tumblr is Jordan L. Hawk, <laughs> but Tumblr hides my messages. So that is a terrible way to get in touch with me because I won't have anything for like three months. And then suddenly it's like, oh, here's like 12 messages we forgot to send you somehow. And now here they are. Cool. So that's bad. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll link up to all those in the show notes. Plus, give people uh, the direct links to Undertow so they can pick that up uh, since it's just out. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been an awesome talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. And speaking of reviews, we'd like to give a, a, a thanks and a shout out to Jeslia, who calls herself a big fan, and we, we love all of our fans. Yes, Absolutely. But uh, Jeslia recently left us a what delightful review on iTunes, so we do thank you for that. Yeah. Okay, I think that's probably going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, coming up next week on episode 69. 69. Let's just have all the jokes now about that number. <laughs> uh, we are going to have Foster Bridget Cassidy. She's going to talk about her debut novel, Pipeline in Paradise, which is part of the Dream Spinner States of Love series. Plus, uh, Liesel. Liesel? Oh my god. The Send of Music is going to be here? <laughs> the talking this week. Okay, sorry. Okay. So, States of Love Lady is going to be here. She's awesome. Plus, we're going to have Lisa from the novel approach. She's going to stop by for a visit as well. And we'll try to talk better next week, too. And no guarantees, but we'll see how it goes. Until then, everyone. Keep reading, and we'll see you then. Bye. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 